0: Well, you know, the election is over and we had an historic election where not only did the Democrats flip the House and keep the Senate, but a record number of African-American legislators were elected to office. What does this mean for Hampton Roads? What does this mean for Virginia? And what does this mean for the Commonwealth of Virginia? It's State Award. I'm your host, Dr. Eric LeVille. Stay tuned as we discuss Black Virginia in the 2023 Virginia General Assembly election. Welcome back and stay the water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric LaVille. Thank you so much for joining us as you always do, as we broadcast from the campus of the Norfolk State University from WNSB Hot 91, the soul of VA. We couldn't do what we do without you, so we want to thank you, the supporters, the alumni, the stakeholders. All of those that are part of the greatest alumni base here with the Spartan family. And all of you out there that's listening to us, not just here on Hot 91, but on our TuneIn app all across the country and all across the world. You know, for those of you that have been joining us, uh, you know that we are uh, past the election and we're getting into the holiday season. So we know Thanksgiving is also right around the corner. You know, but one thing happened the election itself is that not only did the Democrats flip the House and also maintain the Senate, which we saw a blue wave, not just in the Commonwealth, but across the country. And we know, and I've said it here on the show, and I've said it also across the airways, as Virginia goes, so does the country. Well, there's another little important piece, or you may say a big big piece, that's very important about this election. A record number of African-Americans were elected to office in a lot of areas in the Commonwealth where traditionally that just didn't happen. And not only that, but African-Americans will take major leadership roles in the General Assembly. Moving forward, But to discuss this, we have with us someone that I've admired from afar and is doing phenomenal things here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, especially for African-American community. That's none other than Lauren Burke, founder of Black Virginia News and also commentator on The Roland Martin Show. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on State of Water.
1: Dr. Clifel, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on. And I really have enjoyed your commentary on TV on the election. It's been fantastic to see you
0: there. <laughs> I appreciate luck. Look, as, as we say, thank God for the opportunities that we have just to do our little part and make sure that the people get the information, the, the, the right information, right? <laughs> so they can make a more uh, well informed decision. Absolutely. You know, you, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, that you are the founder of black Virginia news and also persons can see you on the real, Martin show the digital show, which he's done a phenomenal job switching from from television to the digital space when when people thought that it couldn't be done, and, and, and you're a part of that. You know, t- just just for a moment, tell us about your career in politics and policy. How did you get to Black Virginia News and then Roland Martin?
1: Well, it's a little bit of a long career. My, I grew up in, uh, in New York. I was born in the Bronx. My mother is from... Virginia, okay, so I spent my entire life going back and forth from Virginia uh to new york, <laughs> and uh, i I had a uh, my mother worked for a politician in New York, a member of the state assembly. so when I was a teenager, I went to all sorts of political events um when I was like twelve and thirteen years old and then i uh so my first job in politics was with the guy that my mother worked for his name was Paul Herrenberg, and he was focused on elder issues, which was fantastic. At any rate, I then uh, you know, did a series of internships on Capitol Hill, which included Ted Kennedy and uh, John Kerry at that time. And then I got a job with uh, George Mitchell, who was then the Senate, U.S. Senate Majority Leader. I was in Washington, D.C., going to school at American University and graduated uh, with a history degree. Then I went and worked in, um, in media. So I've worked in media and politics. So I worked at ABC News for Koki Roberts. I worked at uh, USA Today. I uh, worked on The Hill, uh, a paper called The Hill Newspaper, et cetera, and so on. So it's been media politics, media politics. I think for Virginians, uh, the important part is I, I was uh, Justin Fairfax, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax's senior advisor and comms director, and uh, proudly, and I really enjoyed that. And so uh, I've done a lot in the political space and the media space. I've revolved the door a few times, so it's been interesting.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's. we talk about it all the time here on campus, the students, you know, never, ever discount an internship, right? Because you never know where it's going to take you. And it seems like your career is taking you, like you said, it's a lot of long career, but a lot of great people that you mentioned uh, that you've been able to, 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 to serve under and also to have a very uh, unique viewpoint. So I know that's played a lot in in your trajectory, what you've done. But, you know, outside of that, you have Black Virginia News. Tell us about Black Virginia News.
1: Yeah, so what happened was there is a big news desert in Virginia. There's sort of a big news desert all over the place because local news is starting to, the business model of local news began to fail Mm. uh, because of the digital era, you know, Effectively taking the ad base away from a lot of these smaller newspapers. In Virginia, of course, we have uh, two storied uh, papers, the New Journal and Guide, which is one of the oldest black newspapers in the United States. And then we have the Richmond Free Press in Richmond. Uh, And those are great papers. Uh, But what I find is that a lot of these reporters at these bigger news organizations that really control the narrative in our communities, which I think is hugely problematic, uh, namely the Washington Post and the Richmond Times-Dispatch, they don't drive down the Hampton Roads. They don't go to Norfolk. They don't go to Hampton. They don't go to Newport News. Everything stops, usually in northern Virginia or Richmond, Uh, and that is hugely problematic because the views of black people uh, all over this Commonwealth are important. And particularly in that Hampton Roads area, where in 1619, the first Africans arrived. And what I find is that there is a major difference in the tenor and narrative when we talk to folks in Hampton Roads than other parts of Virginia. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, people are just more direct and more in touch with uh, what our history is in the Commonwealth of Virginia and the nation more more broadly. So. I started Black Virginia News uh, because I saw a lot of things that were not getting reported. Uh, To be quite frank, uh, when I was working for Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, uh, his situation in 2019 was misreported completely. Uh, Lots of facts completely left out, which uh, to me indicates that he was falsely accused. And the media did not want to report any of that. (laughs) So I watched that in real time, and I watched that with some very large news organizations. Uh, and uh, it's something that I you know, will not let go. I, I've, I'm a journalist in the tradition of Ida Wells, and uh, I am not down with this idea that we leave out facts that uh, are inconvenient because we don't want the story to go in a certain way. So I, you know, I've watched that in real time as a crisis manager, and I've also seen it in the newsroom and some of the bigger newsrooms I've wor- wor- uh, worked in, which have been, of course, you know, 99% white. So it's been an interesting view of things. And Roland Martin has been a a real breath of fresh air because he's understanding of all these issues. And, you know, that's been the crux of the reason for Black Virginia News, to have the narrative of the voice of African-Americans someplace recorded in the Commonwealth of Virginia.
0: Absolutely. You know, that's Black Virginia News. That's blackvirginianews.substack.com. You could take a look at that. I mean, let me tell you, it is a wealth of inf- information, you know, as, as, as she stated, you know, really written from a standpoint, from an African-American standpoint. Uh, you have the news, you have the podcast, you have the TikTok, Facebook, Threads, uh, or, you know, everything that you want, <laughs> it's here. Uh, you know, how long did it really take you to create this? I mean, once you got the idea, you know, because very, you know, very similar to, to you, you I thought that was a uh, an absence of a political show or a show to really talk about policy and politics, you know, for the African-American community. So, voila, you know, we have what we have now. You know, so with that, how long did it take you to establish Black Virginia News?
1: Um, you know, it's only about it's a little under two years old. I had like a little test case. Me and a few others put together sort of a, a website that we threw up. Uh, I can't remember what we called it. I think we just called it Black Virginia. I think we call it just Black Virginia. And it sort of got a bunch of traffic without any ad effort, without any real effort on social media. And that sort of told me that there was probably something. And it' just been talking to a lot of folks in Virginia, a lot of leaders in Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, many of whom do not get the attention and the credit that they should get. I would point to uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, oh, who is wow. one of the most prolific members of Congress uh in history really and and he's bringing millions of dollars to virginia to hbcus and it doesn't get reported you know and it's incredible to me the things that don't get reported and when when the when the community does not know what their leaders are doing and what's going on is destabilizing and we live in a era of misinformation disinformation and quite frankly it's dangerous uh so it was a we we put out a tester sort of to see okay is there a market for this in fact there was and then the thing blows up and everybody's subscribing and a lot of people are paying for it and i'm not really surprised because there was nothing covering some basic things you know just covering okay who's running for the house of delegates who's running for the virginia senate i mean i'm just talking basic things and so trying to get more into the narrow the, the the marrow of 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 a deeper discussion about what's going on in virginia but but that was the that was the beginning of it
0: absolutely so look, let, let let's delve into it because just like you, you're a politics junkie. So so I'm really excited to hear your viewpoint, and I've been reading uh, some of your so some of your news and, and writings that you've reported on this past election. So the the election is done, so I just want to get your your thought. What do you think about
1: it? Well, I think the election was close. I mean, I know that there is a, a tendency on the Democratic side and. As somebody who works in democratic, who has worked in democratic politics, I felt like you know it didn't surprise me that Democrats took this as, oh look, we stopped Governor Yunkin, who's right. a Republican, from running for president. I, I get that feeling, but if you look at the actual numbers, uh, it's extremely close. I mean, the the House of Delegates in Virginia will be 51-49, and the Virginia Senate will be 21-19, mm-hmm. and you know, your one indictment or one. Heart attack away from the thing going you know basically equalizing but of course one of the big historic uh markers is of course the uh coming swearing in of a new speaker who will be oh. the first black speaker in history which would be don scott uh and don scott of course represents the delegate he's a delegate from portsmouth uh, he uh will make history in Absolutely. january yeah. <laughs> And uh, that will be—he will be speaker number 93, I believe, in the uh, Virginia House of Delegates, and and for a Commonwealth and a country and in an American South uh, replete in racism and the subject, and subject, the the, the uh, suppression of African Americans, and particularly in in uh, Virginia, this is an incredible moment, <laughs> you yeah. know. And and on top of that incredible moment is that Don Scott specifically has an incredible story. Uh, so uh, that is huge, and, 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 and that is a, a big benchmark. But, of course, we have to get past the performative. We have to get past mm-hmm. just the numbers and get past the, oh, it's cool to have the first black this and that. The communities that the uh, African-American uh, elected officials tend to serve are in great need of yeah. attention. And we will have two members of the General Assembly who are black who will be controlling the money, quite frankly, unless something goes haywire tomorrow. I doubt that will happen. But uh, we already know that Luke Torian, who is the delegate from Dumfries and a pastor, will be the chair of the Appropriations Committee on the House side and the Senate side. we Everybody expects that El Louise Lucas will be the chair of the Finance Committee. It will be the first time, of course, in the history of this Commonwealth and probably the first time in this country that two black people are controlling the purse strings, yes. billions of dollars, and uh, that is, that is a, uh, a monumental thing. And people should keep in mind that we have a living legend walking around in Richmond and L. Douglas Wilder, another historic figure uh, who uh, uh, is another reason to think about all this in a more global and broad way. But I think for African-American communities, we have to be aware of the fact that this has to result in something tangible at some point. Right. It can't just be performative. And, and that's where. I think we're at the precipice of that moment uh, with these elected leaders.
0: You know what? I I think that's where some people miss it, right? We have these historic moments. We celebrate it. And I think, you know, when some of my colleagues and I, we we talk about the Obama years, how we went on an eight, nine year, you know, uh, celebratory, you know, you know, feast. But when you delve into policy and really making that mark in the African-American community? Where was the policy where we talk about that really made that mark? Not to say he didn't do great things. I'm not saying that. But what 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 I think you and I are both talking about is, hey, let's get down to the nitty-gritty because now you mentioned how historic it is that we have African-Americans on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the houses, controlling the purse strings. That has never happened in the history of this country, history of this commonwealth. You know, so if, if 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 you had your wish <laughs> from a policy standpoint, and say, "Hey, Lauren Bird, you know, we like what you're doing. You've got this great career. What do you think we should do? What are the what are your top three uh, initiatives that you think we should give okay. as a general assembly?" Right.
1: <laughs> well, there's already a discussion going on about a black agenda that is sort of informal, that sort of just involves people who want to talk about this in this in, incredibly key moment, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, There is no, I think the big mistake that is made in black politics is just not having an ask and not having an agenda and not being very deliberate about what you want, which other lobbying groups and other. Already,
0: they do it all the time, right?
1: That's right. Absolutely right. Now, we have a special problem, which is that our history and the forces against us are a lot more energized than they are with other communities. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. And you saw that Barack Obama had to play this sort of dance of not wanting to, quote, be looking too black. I mean, he spent a lot of his administration dancing around that, that problem, uh, which in, on the one hand, you say to yourself, well, you know, give me a break, and the, but then on the other hand, when you think about the details of what happens to African Americans uh, in history, from Malcolm X to Martin Luther King, you know, there's a reason to have some fear. <laughs> there's some real reason to have some fear about being, quote, too black. But, however, uh, at the same time, we know that nothing changes without being assertive and deliberate about what you want at the Mm -hmm. table uh, in our politics. And I think that, so, you know, when you ask me that, I I feel like, you know, there are three things. And, of course, economic investment in a lot of these communities that have never gotten it. And anybody, if you just drive through Norfolk, if you drive through uh, Portsmouth or Newport News, you don't have to wonder about what I'm talking about, where the money is going. Uh, We have schools in Virginia. Some of these schools are over 100 years old, you know, they're 90 years old. There's no reason that that should be the case. Uh, The tax base, of course, is controlling um, how these schools are funded. Uh, And, of course, we have the obvious uh, need for our HBCUs to be uh, even with schools like William & Mary. And, uh, you know, you see the difference in funding with regard to William & Mary and UVA, et cetera, and so on. Uh, There's some pretty low-hanging fruit there, Uh, you know. Uh, th- there's a lot to say, but there has to be an agenda, and the agenda right. has to be very specific and very deliberate.
0: Absolutely. It's Say the Water. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Claville. You're joining us now for a discussion about Black Virginia and the 2023 Virginia Gen- General Assembly election with Lauren Burke, who is the founder of Black Virginia News and also commentator on Roland Martin, the digital show. Lauren, you mentioned earlier, you know, Don Scott, uh, you mentioned the Senator Louise Lucas. Uh, a legend in our own right, of course, NSU alum. You know, but when we talk about Hampton Roads, and I want to talk about the significance of what we have, and we'll we'll kind of shift from that and look at the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus itself. So this election really brought the most, the the largest number of black or African-American elected officials in the history of the Commonwealth. But in Hampton Roads, the city of Virginia Beach elected and sent three black males Two delegates, one senator to general assembly, and three black females, two delegates and one senator from Norfolk, and a Hispanic American to the general assembly. How historic! I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that that's literally in one election, right? I mean right. that that I mean four years ago that wasn't the case.
1: You know what's
0: the what's the impact of that in where we are now in our history? And and how do you think that really translates across the entire Virginia? Because you got a great viewpoint, New York, D.C., Virginia, back and forth. So you see it all.
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot. And, you know, I think that uh, it's not just the fact that, of course, these people have black skin and a pulse beat. It's really who the people are. So when you talk about somebody like Angelia Williams-Graves or Benita Anthony or Michael Fagans or Aaron Rouse,
0: yeah. Jackie Glass, you know, Alex Askew, absolutely.
1: Alex Askew, right. It, it, these are people, Alex Askew, of course, already served in the legislature. And uh, Ann Rouse had been on Virginia Beach City Council. And so, of course, Michael Fagans has been in the military. Uh, but, but Benita Anthony, somebody I want to really focus on for a second. I had had a very extensive interview with her in particular. And she knows her stuff on a level that is extremely deep. So it's past the performative for a lot of these people. They've been involved in public service already for years. And so they kind of hit the ground running, which is a really important metric. Uh, Even when you hit the ground running, you have to be very deliberate about what you're doing, but this is a particular group, as you pointed out, that's historic and it is amazing that that many people was involved and and, and they are going to be uh, servicing communities that are in great need of people who really know what they're doing. So it is exciting that that particular group of people, that specific group of people will be going to Richmond.
0: You know, in Black Virginia News, you also talked about the the Senate. And, and, and I like the headline for this particular piece. It's called The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it lists, you know, all these beautiful black people who are in the Senate. How is a new look in the Senate. So 2024, it says with well, a record number of black lawmakers, you know, of those seven black lawmakers, of course, you know, two, of course, I got to shout it out our NSU alum, Senator Lamont Bagby and Senator Luis Lucas. But then, uh, of all of them, on this seven, you have five women. As a black woman yourself, and to see these women being called state senators, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I think it's
1: great. Uh, certainly, uh, coming, the, the senators coming in, Luxury's uh, there, Jennifer Carroll Foy, and the aforementioned Angelina Williams Graves. And, of course, Louise Lucas and Mamie Locke are already there. And I will also mention that we have a historic lieutenant governor, a Republican, but a historic, historic lieutenant governor. Was the First black female lieutenant governor. Um, you know, it is exciting. It's great to see these people coming up. It, what I think we're going to see in the next coming fi- you know, cycles is these folks running for statewide office. I mean, I hate to get way ahead of myself here. I don't mean to you know, put a lot of pressure on them, but I think that's part of the equation as well. But I don't want to leave out the guys. I mean, Rouse and Lamont Bagby uh, are fantastic. I think they're going to do fantastic. And so, uh, but it is historic for the women. Uh, there's no no question we have a historic number of black women who are going to be serving. Uh, and that is a big deal. You know, you can't forget Cia Price is sitting down there in Newport News. She's been a real champion on voting. Uh, there's some people who've done some outstanding work. And I think that that will continue. And uh, it is a particularly good group and a very smart group of lawmakers.
0: Absolutely. Now, when you talk about delivering, you know, one thing we can do, like I said, we had become complacent. And we saw where during the Yonkin administration, the NACP actually sued the Yonkin administration for uh, for the removal of voters on voter rolls. And, you know, found out that, you know, hey, things were not above water. What they did is is. Do do we have to or African Americans, even though we have this this change in the face of the general assembly, do we do, is it dangerous to become complacent because these type of things can happen again?
1: Uh no yeah, it's always dangerous to become complacent if you're particularly if you're an African American in the South. Uh the, the NAACP of Virginia did a very good job under the outgoing president Bob Barnett with that lawsuit. They wanted. it it was a FOIA lawsuit related to uh a restoration of rights for people who are ex felons. The new president, Cozy Bailey, promises to be just as uh, aggressive. Quite frankly, that suit should have been filed by the Democratic Party of Virginia and not the NAACP. Uh, so I'm not sure why the Democratic Party of Virginia didn't file that suit, but it was filed, it was successful, and that's what matters. Uh, so th- that is uh, a good example of, a, I think, a more, we're coming to watch, sort of watching a more vibrant Virginia NAACP. I mean, one criticism I'd have of them is they are. A little bit too closely aligned to the Democratic Party at times, and sometimes the Democratic Party needs a shot across the bow, quite frankly, on Black agendas and Black policy. Uh, but, but still, I think the the, the state of the has done a good job.
0: Absolutely, you know, when you talk about alliances. You know, you had, of course, unions that stepped up in this race. Uh, you had a lot of uh, a lot of women because the one of the issues on the ballot was women's health, health care, and having the choice to choose. But you said that the numbers were close, and and I'll I'll have the uh, I had the very good fortune of moderating the premier uh, election talk back here at Hampton Roads, is in Norfolk, at the main on last Friday uh, through the Virginia Public Access Project called uh, or VPAP. and part of that discussion that and myself and the executive director looked at uh, is that the numbers. We saw that it was closer than <laughs> that it should have been, uh, especially when you look at the, the lines that were redrawn. So, you know, with that being the case, it so, it showed that Republicans actually over, outperformed the Democrats. What is it, What is it going to take to get individuals to the polls, voters to the polls, especially in 2024, when we have a very important presidential election that's coming up?
1: What it takes is to show people exactly why their government matters and exactly why voting matters. And you have to show them that something tangibly made a difference because your vote happened. And unfortunately, the Democratic Party, which is uh, the party that most African-Americans support, uh, is not good at communicating that at all. (laughs) So that has to change. You have to show people you know, why their vote specifically matters in their lives in a bread-and-butter way, why their grocery prices are going down, why gas prices are going down, mm. why it matters to vote. Uh, and, you know, obviously you see some close races. We had Kim Pope Adams up there in Petersburg who lost by, I think, 700 votes or something. You know, I mean, 74 votes. I mean, you have these elections every cycle. that are very close. This is a very close election. It was. It had a, I think, historic low of like eight years in terms of the overall turnout. I have to go look at that again, but I think it was a lower turnout even for an off off year. Mm -hmm. And that is a bad sign going into 2024. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's got to be fixed really fast because we're dealing with a Republican Party that is post-factual and post-policy and is hovering into the area of anti-democracy and fascism. And that is what we're going up against next year (laughs) in terms of this country and what we're going to look at we have a rematch of Joe Biden versus Donald Trump.
0: D- does that just sound kind of strange to say we have a rematch uh, between the former president and the, and the current president? Uh, let's
1: say that again.
0: does that it sound strange to say that, that we're going to end up having a rematch between? Uh,
1: yeah, it, it, it's it's. It's an incredible situation and is made even more incredible by the fact that the uh, sitting president is headed into his uh, 82nd, I believe, birthday. I think he's a Scorpio. It's coming up. And uh, he's actually going to be in the area in Norfolk. He's actually going to be in Norfolk on Saturday, by the way, <laughs> at a Thanksgiving Uh And so I, I think, you know, the ages of these two individuals matter. Uh, that's going to weigh on people. But more importantly, Uh, People need to understand that Donald Trump is interested in dismantling everything that would define what a democracy is. And that has to be articulated very clearly uh, as we go into 2024.
0: Absolutely. You know that. And one thing that I mentioned um, is that the day after the election, November 8th, was day one of the U.S. presidential election. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it it starts. So we are less than 350 days away. Uh, Well, less than 360 days away from choosing the next commander in chief. And we got a lot of issues that we have to address, a lot of issues we got to hit head on. And as you stated, we got to get out the people to vote, but we got to let voters know why it's important to vote, right?
1: Absolutely. And you have to have candidates that are compelling. You know, I hate to go Hollywood here, but you do have to have people who are exciting the people that they will get off the couch for and be excited to vote for. And, uh, yes, there is a theatrical element to politics. Absolutely. I, I hate to admit it and say, okay, well, that's, you know, that's frivolous or that's, but it's not. And, you know, President Obama really taught
0: us that. Absolutely. Look, you either scare them or enter or excite them. Those are the two ways to get people out to the polls. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Lauren, look, it's been great talking with you. And again, absolutely phenomenal what you're doing, you know, with Black Virginia News. Keep it up and don't roll it more. And listen, tell our listeners how they can uh, uh, see more of you, read about you or view you uh, online.
1: Well, if you type in Black Virginia News in Google, it'll come right up, because, of course, there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing else like that. And also, you know, people can email me if they like. It's uh, Lburke, lburke007 at gmail.com. And we're on, you know, we're on Threads, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. The TikTok account is a lot of fun. Uh, and, of course, Facebook. Facebook is a lot of fun. So there it is.
0: There it is. That's Lauren Berg, founder of Black Virginia News and commentator on Roland Martin, the digital show. Once again, thank you so much for joining us here on State of Water, where we always bring movers, shakers and policymakers to you to discuss issues important to the community. Until next week, I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving break. Be great, be good, and we'll see you next week.